Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of John, and we've come to chapter 13 and verse 31. And if you're new here for the first time, um, maybe you came as a result of the, the Hallelujah Harvest Festival, we just want to welcome you. We're so thankful that you're here today, and um, we're a church that um, hopefully what we're known for is a church that loves Christ, we treasure him, of everything else in this world that we are loving. Um, there's a church that just loves one another and, and, and worships the Lord with all that is within us. Um, we pray that the gospel would be going forth out of here um, and everything that takes place and, uh, and that we would just be built up. So we're thankful to have you here and um, I'd ask all of us if, if we could join together and just praying for our time in God's word this morning as we approach John chapter 13. Let's pray. Lord God, we, um, we are so thankful, Lord, for your word, the power of your word, the way in which you enable us to be able to see you, to know you, to be able to know who you are and what it is that you have done to save us, Lord, how we are to be as your people. I, I pray, Lord, that, um, that on this morning, we would find ourselves just more and more in love with you and that the fruit of that would, would be our lives just glorifying you in every aspect, God. Um, we look forward to partaking in communion this morning as Pastor Bill leads us in communion, Lord. And I, I pray that everything that takes place this morning would just um, cause you, our almighty God, to be exalted. And we're thankful. We're thankful for this weekend. We're thankful for the way that the gospel went forward yesterday. We're thankful for how you brought each and every person you desired to be here yesterday, Lord. And you brought us all back here this morning. And we're thankful for the extra hour of sleep. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You picture what is being said here and who it is that's saying it Christ, the one who has always existed. Always. If you go back, no matter how far you go back in your mind, however many billions or trillions or however far you can think of, he was there. The Holy Trinity was there in perfect fellowship, perfect joy, being in a place of both being loved and loving as they're there in the three persons of the Trinity. And it's through Christ that everything that was made was made spoke things into existence. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He has always existed. 
As we enter into eternity, there will be no need for the sun because he will shine in all of his brilliance and there will be no need for the sun ever again. He's the one in whom the angels worship. Day and night they worship him. He's the one that created this earth, the universe. He's the one that created you and all those who have gone before us. He's the one that calls us unto salvation and brings us unto himself. And it's this one in whom all glory belongs. He's not in need of anything. He knows all things. He's all-powerful. He's at all places at all times, and he's eternal, who is in the last final hours of his life. And he knows that he's going to the cross. He's spoken of it over and over again as we've been looking at for several weeks. He knows exactly what's going to take place. He had just said to Judas a few verses earlier, what you do, do quickly. As, you tra- as you're a, a, a traitor and as, as you do this, do it quickly. The reason why is because his time had now come. He was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew that nails would be driven through his hands and then a nail would be driven through his feet. He knew every detail of what was going to take place because we see the details just specifically given as far as the way that he would thirst and details of how he would be whipped and all that would occur as we look through the Old Testament. All the details he knew. He knew that our sin would be placed upon him as he hung on that cross. And he knew that there was this great separation that was going to take place between him and the Father as he became sin for us. And as he thinks about going to the cross, as he thinks about the fact that Judas will betray him, he'll be arrested, he'll be falsely accused, all these things will take place, and he'll go to the cross. The way that he describes it in the Gospel of John chapter 13 here, he says, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Right now, as I'm about to be betrayed, as this is going to be my final night and tomorrow I'll be crucified, I want you to know now is a time that I'm going to be glorified. Now is the time in which God the Father, the Holy Trinity, will be glorified. We are going to be glorified now. That's the description that Jesus gives to the disciples right here in this, these final moments as, as, we, as we look, these hours, these final hours in the life of Jesus. He is looking at what's going to take place and he tells them all, now's the time that I'm going to be glorified. Now's the time that you're going to see me in who I am, in my brilliance, my majesty. And it may be something that we think about and we hear that and we think, why would he say that? I mean, you think of the transfiguration, he would look and say, now I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to shine like the sun there. And, and, and Peter, James, and John, they're, they're not going to know what to do. And there's going to be Moses, there's going to be Elijah there. And this is, I am going to be glorified in just incredible ways of the transfiguration. 
But Jesus is looking at this moment and saying, now I'm going to be glorified. Now's the time that that is going to happen. You think of the songs that we sang this morning. The way in which we worship him. And it reflects that it is the cross in which glorifies Christ. You think of how it is that we look upon our God. How it is that we think of him. And to think that the one who has always existed, the one who was before all things, the one who spoke everything into existence, who has all power and all honor and all glory, this one is the one who became a man, became the least of all men, lived a perfectly righteous life, fulfilled all righteousness, and he is about ready to go to the cross to where it should be something that just astonishes us as it does the heavens. To think of who God is, And to think, he is now going to show us his beauty. It's one thing for him to say, I'm a God of love. It's another thing for him to be there hanging upon a cross with people spitting upon him and pulling out his beard and punching him before that over and over again, before he got to the cross, and they're hanging on the cross with the crown of thorns on his head and, and the people mocking him, casting lots for his clothing. And to have the words come out of his mouth, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Radical. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To be able to see the one who did not deserve any punishment, any wrath, anything like that, and yet he takes all of our wrath that we deserved, God's wrath upon us that we deserved upon himself. It's one thing for him to say, I'm a loving God, and it's another thing for us to look at that, isn't it? You look upon him, you think, the one who created all things, Is becoming sin for us? Taking a punishment that we deserve so that we would never have to take that punishment upon ourselves. We who deserve eternity and hell, he's going to make it so that all of the fierceness of his wrath would come upon himself, would be inflicted upon himself rather than upon us so that we could have forgiveness of sins and we could be adopted into his kingdom and be his children and belong to him, be his bride and spend eternity with him in the joy of the Lord because he is becoming sin for us and taking the wrath that we deserve. We see love like can't even be described in the Old Testament. I mean, in the Old Testament, you see love, you see grace, you see mercy. When Adam and Eve are there in the garden and they're, they're there and they've eaten of the fruit and, and God says, who told you that you were naked? And he clothes them with, with these fig leaves, covers them. Or they cover themselves with fig leaves and he covers them with the, the animal tunics and kills the animals and puts them on him so that they're covered, hiding their, their, their nakedness. All of the sacrificial system and all that took place, the Day of Atonement, all these things that occurred, all of them pointing to grace, mercy, but all of them ultimately pointing to the cross. Radical to think about. It's one thing to say, I'm a God of love. It's another thing to say, I'm a God of grace or I'm a God of mercy or I'm a God whose mercies are new every morning. And then 
we come to the cross and it is just displayed for us in a way in which it's breathtaking. To praise him, to see him, to see the one with all majesty hanging upon a cross. The one with perfect holiness becoming sin for us. Just to give you a a, a better picture of the fact that he is about ready to glorify himself, go with me to the book of Revelation for a moment. In the book of Revelation, we get this description of, of what John is seeing. And you remember, John is, is now on the island of Patmos. He's writing these things in which God has taken him to see. So it's fresh in his mind as far as Jesus saying there before the cross that he's about to be glorified. He's there in, in chapter 4. It tells us there's this, he's looking and there's this door that standing open in heaven in in verse 1 there. And it says, At first the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here and I'll show you things which must take place after this. And so he's there and he sees this throne in heaven and one who sits on the throne. And he says, The one who sits on the throne is like a jasper or sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. And, and it was in the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones were 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there's seven lamps and a fire that are burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And, and, and there's a sea of glass like crystal. And there's all of these things taking place. He's looking upon this. And it's just incredible to see. God Almighty there on the throne. So as John said, I'm writing these things. This is what I saw. But in chapter 5, John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Who's worthy to open the scroll? And it tells us no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Who's worthy to open the scroll? And there's just silence. I don't know how much time went by, but there's silence. Whatever it was moved John to where John said, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. So he just starts starts weeping. He's seen all of this take place. He's there before the throne. He sees God on the throne like a jewel and this rainbow and thunderings and lightnings and all this coming from the throne. And who's worthy to open the scroll? And nobody's there. And he starts weeping. And then, and then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Here's this elder. Hey, dude, don't weep. Don't weep. There's... 
the lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold him. Look at him. He says, so I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and he he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And you just, you picture him just coming up, taking the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And it said, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They just fall down before him, each of them having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so they start singing. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because I want you to get that he was glorified. I want you to get that he was glorified there when he became sin for us. He was glorified as he took all of his glory and became a man and then went to the cross and became sin for us. He's glorified in that. But this glory is such that we will never look upon him the same ever again. I mean, as far as knowing God, knowing his character, knowing his heart, knowing his love, knowing his mercy, knowing his grace, knowing the way in which he pours himself for his people, there will be a day you can be assured of where there are these four living creatures and these 24 elders, and they just fall down before him. They just fall down before him, and they start singing, you're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. It's falling down before him, you're worthy. You're the one that's worthy. You can go up and take the scroll. You're the one that can remove the seals. You're the one that can read it. You're able to do it because because you were slain. Because you went to the cross. Because you purchased us. You redeemed us to God by your blood. Because of what you did on the cross, we now belong to you, to our God. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, It wasn't just Israel. It was from all over the earth. You have saved a people for yourself. You've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And he says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice. And I just, you picture this scene. I mean, as far as like, you picture someone getting glory and there may have been some of the disciples in the early church that's there that think upon the cross and think so thankful for what he did and he rose again from the dead and we're going to live for him for all eternity and then you watch the church grow throughout the last 2,000 years and all that occurs in us here singing songs this morning of praise unto God but all of it is such that we will have this clarity to see who he is and what he's done in a different way when we're in heaven to where There's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands and all of them are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such as are in the sea and all that is in them, he said, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Radical. Glory, glory in which every creature that is there 
bowing before him, saying, glory and honor and blessing. All of it belongs to you because you were slain, because you redeemed us, because you paid the price that we could never pay, and you took people from all over the face of this globe and have brought us and made us a people unto yourself and we will praise you and we'll praise you and day and night we will praise you and we will sing to you and we'll bow down before you and all of us and it'll sound like many waters all of us together are praising you because you were slain and so when Jesus says as he's there about ready to go to the cross when he says now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Now this is going to happen. As I go to the cross, this is going to happen. We can be 100% sure of, sure of the fact that it happened. We praise him, don't we? When we think upon our Savior and think, you became sin for us. You've made us your people. You're worthy of all glory and all honor. I never could have done it by myself. I never could have earned my salvation. I could have taken all of my righteousness and it was like filthy rags in the sight of God. You've made me as white as snow. You've clothed me with robes of righteousness. You've made it so I get to spend eternity as your bride and you're my bridegroom. And I get to spend eternity in the joy of the Lord. And it's all because of you. It's all because of the cross. It's all because what have you, what you've accomplished for me. And so when Jesus says, "I'm going to be glorified now," he was, as he was hanging there on the cross. We saw the God of this universe like nobody had ever seen him before, and like nobody will ever see him again. Perfectly displayed in incredible love for us, holiness. When you think of the holiness of God, holiness of God just, just shimmers from the cross because you're able to see that he went to the cross and became sin for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that his holiness would never be tarnished when we spend eternity with him. He can't just take sin and just sweep it on the rug. Okay, let's just pretend like it didn't happen. Come on in. No, his holiness is so magnificent that he became sin for us so that his holiness would always be preserved for all eternity. That is our God. And so he says to them from there, now little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. Okay, so we're going to see that he's with them. We're going to look at the next several chapters of what it is that he says and the way that in which he prays. I'm with you a little while longer. And you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. You're not, what I'm about to do, you cannot do. Where I'm going, you can't come right now. So now I say to you, and this is what he says. So he's talking to his disciples. And the same message is for you and I here this morning. Here's the, the final message that I want to leave for you. I'm about ready to be glorified. The time's now. I'm going to the cross. But little children, this is what I want to say to you right now. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Judas has left the building. There's the 11 of them there. 12 with Jesus. 
And he's looking at these disciples and he says, okay, now I'm going to give you a new covenant. Love one another. They may have thought at first, what do you mean love one another? That's not a new commandment. You said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We are told to love our neighbor as ourselves. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the new part right there. Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The commandment I give to you is love each other. The way in which you are to love each other is the way in which I have loved you. And he is about ready to go and to show them the full extent of his love. And then he says to us, Okay, now you love each other like that. Love each other like that. Love each other in a way in which I've loved you because when you think of the way in which Christ has loved us, did any of those guys deserve his love? No. They're fishermen, they're tax collectors. Peter's the one who he's going to predict in just a couple verses, you're going to deny me three times. These are the ones that are so quick to fear and so quick to doubt, to question his authority all of the time, who are covered in their own sin, and yet he loved them. Not because they deserved it, but because of who he is. Unmerited love, unmerited grace that he poured upon them. And so he looks upon his disciples and he says, okay, you know, you guys... Love each other like I've loved you. You didn't deserve it, but I loved you. You were running away from me, but I loved you. You deserve something radically different, yet I loved you. I loved you in the way in which I discipled you. I've encouraged you. I've pointed you to to me and to the cross and what it is that I've accomplished for you. I've taught you how it is to live. Now love each other like that. And I would say to us as a church, love each other like that. Not because the person next to you or the person across the room deserves your love, but love because that is the way in which Christ has loved us. Love each other like that. Not because they're worthy of it. Not because they're just so lovable. Not one of us was lovable when he loved us. And yet he loved us. Disciple one another. Pray for one another the way Christ prayed for the disciples. Minister to one another. Just a few verses earlier, we saw Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he tells them, go and do likewise. Love each other like that, where it's a love that just humbly serves one another. Ministers to one another. Pours ourselves into one another, washes each other with the water of the word as he does for us. Caring for one another, weeping for one another as he did for the disciples. Spending time with one another as he did with the disciples. Being in a place where 
Our love is not measured by what we are able to do in and of ourselves. Our love is measured by how has Christ loved us. Therefore, we're to love each other that way. That is the goal. And through his enabling, that is what we are to do. We are to pray for that. We are to be a people. God, help us to love these people the way you loved us. Help me to love this family member who is just so difficult to love because you've loved me that way. Help me to love this friend who just, gosh, they rubbed me the wrong way. With the kind of love that you love me because surely I rubbed you the wrong way in my own sin and fallenness. Help me to love like that. Help us to be a body that loves because God has loved us and we just look at it to where he even says there's no greater love than this than to lay down your life for your friends. A love that just says I'll do anything for you. That kind of love. Love each other like that. I did a trip to Asia one time where I went to China and to Vietnam and to Pakistan and to Thailand and to Burma um, and to, I think I said Vietnam already, but they, several countries, Indonesia. And it was in these countries in which there's just severe persecution. Severe persecution. And I, being in, in Burma and having them run the air conditioning so that it was louder and having the people sing quietly so that nobody could hear them singing as they worshipped. Being in Vietnam and being there to where you just listen, person after person has gone to jail. And they're in a room, they can't leave. They're there for like six days, can't leave because it's too dangerous for them to leave. And I'd come in and spend 12 hours with them teaching and they're just loving every bit of it and just wanting more and more and just loving to be fed. Indonesia, I was there and while I was there, there was a church that the youth ministry, someone put a bomb in the youth ministry and just blew up, killed kids. The others were just covered with shrapnel. China, being in China where pastors had just experienced incredible persecution. Pakistan where church is there and they all have their ID card that says they're a Christian and they just suffered incredible persecution. But in each one of those places, they would ask me, where have you been? Where else have you been? Have you been to Africa? Yeah, I've been to Sudan and some of these other countries. Oh, we hear it's so bad in Sudan. What's it like in Sudan? So we'd tell them what it was like in Sudan and South Sudan for the Christians. Okay, when you go there next, can you please tell them that the church in Vietnam is praying for them? Please tell them that the church in China is praying for them. You people in China, what's it like for the believers in Vietnam? We've heard it's very hard for them. Please tell them that the church in China is praying for the church in Vietnam. And you would just listen. Every country that I went to, can you please tell the believers there, I hear they're suffering so much. Please tell them that we're praying for them. We pray for them all the time. And you look, and it's just this love that they have for one another. This love that's there. They haven't even met them, but they know the suffering in which they're suffering And they said, just pray for them. Today's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. A day which we should be thinking of them. How many Christians are in different places where they just suffer so much and they're saying, "Pray pray for us, but tell them we're praying for them. We're praying for them. They love one another. That should be how we are as a body. We're praying for those that are suffering in other parts of this world, but we are loving and praying 
for one another as well. A love that is there that is not the kind of love that we can muster up ourselves. It is a love that comes from Almighty God that is implanted into our hearts through salvation as the Holy Spirit is given to us. We are able to love with that agape love that God gives us. And it's all the result of him. It is part of the fruit of the spirit that comes out of our lives. But the aim is love like Christ. If you want to know, how do I love this person that's difficult to love? Look to Christ. Look at the way he has loved you. Look at the way he has forgiven you. Look at the way he shows grace to you and mercy to you. And the way in which he just ministers to your needs daily. And then emulate that to your spouse, to your friend, to one another here in this church, and to the saints that God places in our paths around the world. It is that kind of love in which we are to have. It's a new commandment. Love as I have loved you. Study him. Study Christ. Study the way that he humbled himself. Study the way in which he washes feet. Study the way in which he weeps and ministers and cares for his people, for his disciples. He is telling these guys, love one another. If I'm to leave you with something, love one another as I have loved you. Do that. You also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. They'll know. The world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another like that. Love each other. A family in our church had an unbelieving um, mom, grandma, that they had just prayed for her salvation. She had a baby. The, 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 the mom at our church had a baby. The mom, grandma, came down to help. She watched in the way in which you guys all served this family. And God saved her. It was a radical thing that took place. And just watching believers. We love one another. We are to love one another. We're to be different than the world that does not know how to love like that. We're to be those that care for one another, genuinely care for one another, forgive one another, pray for one another. When one of our members is hurting, all of us hurt with them. When one of our members is rejoicing, we're all rejoicing with them. That is how it's to be. Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And isn't that the case when you look at God's people? When there's people who call themselves the church that have done just hideous things throughout history, but we would look upon them and think, it sure doesn't look the way that God's called the church to be. In today's day, 
people are fearful to make a cartoon that insults Islam because of what it is that might happen to that person if they do anything like that. But they just beat on us all day long, don't they? Why? Because they know that we don't respond with terrorist acts. We respond by loving and forgiving and continuing in that. There's a radical difference as far as what God has called us towards. May we love like that. And without a doubt, we will fail in this. Without a doubt, we have failed in this. But may we look to passages like this and say, in the final hours in the life of Christ, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. May that be us. May that be our aim. May that be our heart. May we be people who just look and think, how could I love the people around me and the people that God puts in my path as much as I possibly can in a way that fashions and mirrors the love of Christ towards me. And God will be exalted, and they will know that we are his disciples, and he'll use us to be a light to this world, salt to this earth, by that love that we have for one another. Amen. watched what took place here last night and I heard people saying things like I went to these different booths and people were so nice everywhere people were so nice to us they asked us where we were from they were just caring for this is just man they just they loved on me this guy said we've gone the last couple years and I asked my we we told my six year old daughter that we didn't know whether we were going to go this year And she said to us today, that going to that church for that event is the happiest childhood memory I have. Six-year-old. She said, I don't remember before I was two, but since then, this is the happiest childhood memory I have. And I love that. I pray that we would be in this community being such that we are just a light to those who are around us and we're known for our love for one another. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the perfection of your character and your wisdom and your knowledge that knows that when these disciples are there and you're about ready to go to exalt yourself, to be glorified as you hang upon a cross, that they would remember the words in which you gave them as far as to love one another as you have loved them. And that we, 2,000 years later, can hear those same words and say, God, by your grace, by your enabling, through the Holy Spirit, help us to love each other like that. Help us to love each other like that. I pray that the fuel of our love for one another would be sourced in just looking upon and esteeming and finding just great pleasure in the way in which you have loved us. May that be that which motivates us and gives us a picture of what every moment of our days are to look like. Enable us to have that heart, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.